Um, who would like to open us with a word of prayer? Anyone want to volunteer to open with a word of prayer? Oh, you'll have to jump out once. Jamo, open us with a word of prayer. All right. <laughs> uh, dear Lord, we just thank you for um, tonight, God, and just uh, the group that's here, Lord God. I just pray that you prepare our hearts um, for what you're going to speak to us tonight. And I just pray that you keep them that, and that uh, any words of faith, Lord God, would just fall by the wayside, Lord, and that it would just be you and your words that are heard tonight, Lord God. And I pray that um, none of us will just leave here unchanged, Lord God, but that we um, have grown by Thank you for tonight. Thank you just for the ability in America just to be able to meet freely, Lord God, and uh, not worry about political persecution or anything like that. So we won't take that for granted, God. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, John. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, let me see your Bibles. I want to see all these Bibles. Uh, I got one smartphone, two smartphone, three smartphone. All right, three smart. Wow, the leather bounds are, are, are the majority tonight. Swag, swag. We got some two tone leather. How, how many people have the two tone leather? One, two, three. Two tone leather is uh, holding down the fourth. Oh, three tone. One three tone, two two tone. Uh, there we go. And uh, how many of you guys can say that yours is held together? Anyone's held together by duct tape? Anyone's held together by duct tape like mine? Anyone losing pages? Anyone's Bible yeah. falling apart like this? Ooh, ooh, yeah! Oh! Someone's Bible is in worse replacement. Hey, here, here, here's a good thing I heard about people whose Bibles are falling apart. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, uh, a person whose Bible or or um, someone who has a Bible that's falling apart. Uh, a Bible that's falling apart belongs to someone whose life is not. So uh, the, the more you tear up the Word of God, not literally, but uh, in your devotional time, uh, just going through the pages, wearing out the glue and the binding, uh, hey, praise the Lord. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn uh, to First Thessalonians. We're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight. First uh, Thessalonians, uh, by way of review, uh, is a personal favorite of mine. It's not my all-time favorite. I don't know if you can legally have favorite books of the Bible, but uh, I do. And so, uh, you know, First uh, Thessalonians is up there in the top five for me. Uh, it was the first book I ever taught out of um, for uh, like a full-time teaching. I, uh, I team taught the book of James um, with Pastor Dave uh, right before I took on the youth pastor role. Uh, and then I started teaching First uh, Thessalonians by myself. And it was super cool because I was like 19 and I was rearing and ready to just like teach the word of God and I, uh, I started teaching first Thessalonians um, one just because I thought it sounded cool uh, and two I really felt like the Lord had said hey this is this is where I want you to go and we went there uh, and I believe there was a lot of cool success with the youth group uh, as we went through first Thessalonians and so it's just it, it's been a book that I always uh, go back to because it is so rich it is so full it's five chapters of awesome and uh, and so we're going to be hitting those up tonight uh, just a little bit of review. Uh, it is the first book that, or the first letter uh, that Paul wrote, and uh, most scholars would believe it is the oldest book 
of the New Testament, written somewhere in the late 40s, early 50s uh, AD. Last week, we did all of chapter 1, which was a lot of fun. This is how it opened. It said, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see kind of the theme of this book broken down for us in chapter 3, or verse verse 1, chapter 1, verse 3. It's been a long day. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, it says this, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God the Father. So uh, three things are, are, are introduced to us here. Uh, we have faith, we have love, and we have hope. Uh, we see these things further broken down for us. Uh, later on uh, in the chapter when we see in verse 8 it says this for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia but also in every place your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had and how you turned to God from idols it's that work of faith uh, and then how you serve uh, the living and the one true God. That's that labor of love. Uh, and then we see them hoping uh, with that patience of hope when it says this, to wait for the Son uh, who is from heaven. So, three things, faith, hope, and love. Uh, we looked at how these are the markers uh, and really the indicators of what a mature uh, church uh, and a mature Christian looks like. And we posed the question last week, uh, are you turning from idols? Are we turning from idols? Do we have a work of faith taking place in our life? And if we do have that work of faith taking place in our life, uh, what what are the fruits? What are the actions of that work of faith, of that uh, rejecting idols and, and putting God in his rightful place? Uh, another question we ask is, are we serving uh, the living God. Are we are we loving people? It, are, are we partaking in this labor of love, loving God, and loving people and serving others? It, it, it's God's model, uh, and it's a great model. So great, our church decided we're going to say loving God, loving people, serving others. That's who we are. That's our DNA, and we want to be uh, a church. We want to be followers of Christ who operate in this way, doing the two greatest commandments, loving God with all of our heart and loving people. And when we do both of those things, we will serve people with this labor of love. And then we ask the question, uh, are you eagerly waiting for the Lord's return? And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's that hope. Is hope being produced in you? We, where we're told in Romans chapter 5 that uh, when we face persecution, when we face trials and tribulations, those things produce perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Here's the thing. God's never going to disappoint. In the end, God wins. If you put your faith in, in, in him, uh, then you are on uh, the winning side, and uh, it's not very disappointing. How many of you guys have ever won a board game or a sports game, and you're like, man, I'm really frustrated I won. I didn't want to win. You know, no, everyone wants to win, and Jesus uh, is the ultimate winner. Um, so faith, hope, and love uh, are some pretty important things. Um, Paul's writing this letter uh, after he spent three weeks uh, in Thessalonica. He established the church in three weeks, then he continued on his missionary journey, and now we're about a year after the church had been established. He sends Timothy back to the church to get word on on how the church was doing, and Timothy comes back uh, to Paul and gives him a great breakdown of how the church was doing. We see that in chapter 3. Now, Paul writes this letter, sends it back to the church, and is like, hey, you guys are awesome. I just want to let you know you guys are awesome, but i got some things i got to talk to you about. And So tonight, we're really going to look at 
not only an outline of how the book's broken down, but we're going to look at some of the things that Paul has to say to him. Uh, if you're taking notes, uh, our, our series is called Knowing uh, Future Hope Jesus. Um, some really cool things uh, for us uh, in our future and the hope that we have in Jesus. Um, but the book breaks down, and, and, and what I love about the way Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, he writes very systematic, and, and all of his books break down uh, in a unique but kind of similar way. Uh, the book of Ephesians, it breaks down with doctrine and duty, doctrine and duty, and we see uh, really what, what it looks like to be a believer. We see uh, what the walk of the believer is, we see what the wealth of the believer is, and we see what the, uh, the warfare of the believer is. Um, if we were to look at Romans, it's the same thing. It breaks down with the history of Israel, then Jesus, and uh, his, his relationship to us as followers of Christ, and now what it means to be uh, as a follower of Christ. Uh, 1 Thessalonians does the same thing. There's a very clear and clean breakdown. Uh, and so I'm going to go over that with you real quick so that a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, if someone says, oh, yeah, the book of 1 Thessalonians, you'll be able to be like, oh, yes, I know that book. Dot, 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 boom, that's what it's about. Uh, so what we see, uh, we see the outline of the book given to us in uh, chapter 1, verse 3. And it says this, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. The book breaks down faith, love, and hope. And this is how it does so. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 uh, talk about the faith of the Thessalonian church. Uh, we see Paul uh, is going to help them remember their past. So if you were to give a title, a section title, chapters 1 through 3, it would be remembering their past. Paul encouraging the Thessalonian church to remember their past. Uh, the first part of chapter 4, we're going to see Paul uh, refocusing their present. He, he, he's going to say, hey, hold on, you kind of got lost on these big theological ideas. I need to refocus your present, and your present is all about the labor of love. And so the first part being their faith, that remembering of the past, uh, the first part of chapter 4 is going to be the refocusing of their present, getting them back onto love, love, love. The question might be, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Paul says, no, let me refocus it for you. Love, love, love. And you probably will get hurt because well, we're going to see tonight that Paul got hurt uh, as he was doing this preaching. Yeah, lo love's tough sometimes. Uh, the latter half of chapter 4 and chapter 5, we're going to see Paul uh, reveal their future. So we've already seen uh, a dealing with the past, a dealing with the present, uh, and then Paul is going to address their future, the future of the believer and the future of the non-believer. So we see a remembering of the past, a refocusing of the present, and a revealing of the future. Just so happens I like alliterations a lot. And uh, so we got remembering, refocusing, and revealing. And then there's a little caveat at the end. If you look at the tail end of, uh, of chapter 5, we see these really cool phrases uh, like, pray without ceasing, rejoice always, in everything give thanks, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, test all things. We see these cool like one-liners that Paul gives the church. Uh, and if we were to just throw those in, lump those in, I think it'd be cool. Uh, Paul reminds the church uh, about wisdom. And, and how to use wisdom. So we see a remembering of faith, a refocusing of love, a revealing of hope, and a reminder of wisdom, what it means to uh, truly live for the Lord. Uh, and so now you have those. 
Uh, and if you wrote them down, now when someone says in the coffee shop in the year 2021, they're like, man, 1 Thessalonians, what's it all about? You can be like, oh man, I know that one. That's that one where Paul helps people remember uh, their faith, remember their past. And then he helps them refocus their present. He, he points them back to love. And then he helps reveal the future. See, we're kind of forecasting to the future right now, 2021. Who knows what's going to happen in 2021? Uh, yeah, who knows? Uh, maybe Kanye West will be president. I, 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 and everyone says, I hope not. But uh, hey, great times, great times. <laughs> this is what it says, picking up in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as other apostles have in Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child, so affectionately longing for you, We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For, verse 9, you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God, and you are our witnesses, and God also, how devotely And justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Dear God, uh, I just pray right now. Uh, I know it's already been prayed, um, God, that you would speak through your word to us tonight. Uh, but God, we just pray that, that, that as we spend these next few moments looking at your perfect word, uh, God, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, uh, God, that we would be built up in our most holy faith. Um, so God, we just thank you. And we praise you uh, for, for all you've done and all you are doing and all you are yet to do uh, in our lives. So, God, we just we worship you, uh, God, and we just thank you for your word. And we pray. Amen. Amen. So here, picking up in chapter 2, if you remember from our outline that we just broke down, chapter 2 is in that first section, the remembering the past. Uh, Paul is referencing their faith, and he, and he talks about some things that happened just one year earlier. He says, yep, me and Sylvanus, some of you called them Silas, but it's all good. Uh, We were hanging out with you guys, and we did some things among you. Uh, Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 17, uh, which is where we see the historical account uh, of Paul here in Thessalonica. This is what it says in, uh, in chapter 17, verse 5 of Acts. It says this, but Jews 
who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob and set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring out Paul and the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out loud, These are them who have turned the world upside down. Here's a cool reality. Um, they had a reputation of being people who mess things up. We live in a world that is uh, really flipped upside down for the bad, uh, and it is our role and it's our duty as followers of Christ to really flip the world right side up, uh, get the world back on track, and, and, and that's that labor of love that we kind of talked about last week. Uh, if you remember, if you were here three weeks ago when we looked at Acts chapter 17, we looked at what the King James said, the old school way of saying evil men from the marketplace. Does anyone remember what it said? It was awesome. You remember? It said, lewd men of the baser sort. Lewd men of the baser sort. Um, and this is, this is uh, it, it, it actually is quite striking. Um, in, in the New King James, it loses some of its importance. Um, but we live in a society um, that really, really likes to beat down Christians. Uh, if you look at the media, if you look at the internet, you look at really any place, you see Christians being uh, beat down. Most of the time, not physically. Um, but we are called uh, intolerant, we're called bigots, we're called um, selective. Lots of names and labels get slapped onto Christians uh, because of Christians' beliefs. Uh, Christians believe in the Bible, and the Bible has some things to say that affects society. And Christians have been labeled uh, in specific ways um, that has, uh, well, I mean, to, 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 to the innocent bystander or the onlooker or even to some Christians, um, it, it, it's harmful, it's hurtful, and, and we take offense to it. Um, here's a few things that I want to talk about uh, just briefly. When you or me or the church as a whole uh, is called by society a bigot or... Um, intolerant, uh, we are not to take offense to that um, for, for a very specific reason. Uh, the gospel is offensive. We're told that in Scripture, that the gospel is offensive. What does Jesus say? He says that the gospel is offensive to those who do not believe what it has to say. It's cut and dry. It's clear. It says and it states that sin uh, is sin. And, 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 and it seems that those who are the first, those who are quick uh, to, to attack the church, come at the church, say things uh, uh, of, of ill content towards the church, are in most cases those who are doing the sins that uh, the Bible has said are sinful and that people have uh, a problem with. In most cases, if you look at every single one of the letters Paul writes, when he lists sins, uh, what is the very first of all those sins that Paul breaks down? It's actually pretty intense, uh, the amounts of different, well, or the different levels of, uh, of things that fall into uh, this, this sin category. But if you look at every time Paul breaks down sin, uh, the first thing he always breaks down is sexual sin. Whether it's in a, 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 a heterosexual uh, tendency, whether it's a homosexual tendency, uh, sexual sin, sexual perversion, uh, sexual deviance is always the number one thing uh, that's broken down for us in Scripture when sin is talked about. So, a few things to talk about on that. 
Uh, is any sexual sin more bad than uh, that's not proper English? I'm sorry. Is any sexual sin worse than another sexual sin? No, all sexual sin is sin, and sin is is wrong. So there have been some Christians uh, who have elevated some sexual sins above other sexual sins. Uh, in, in more recent times, homosexuality has been villainized more so than divorce, more so than uh, adultery. And it is a sin, and it should very much be painted as a sin. But the reality of that is every sexual sin is sin. Mm -hmm. And sin is all equal in God's eyes. Correct. Sin is all equal in God's eyes. And it, the, punishment. the wages of sin is death. And here's the thing with, 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 with sexual sin. Uh, people like sex, and people <laughs> like their sexual tendencies. Uh, and when their uh, practices... Uh, are being challenged by the authority of God's word, uh, it ruffles some feathers. Whether it's someone who, who is uh, gay or lesbian uh, with, with a homosexual tendency, or someone who is heterosexual who just likes to sleep around a whole bunch. When they are told what they are doing is wrong, it's going to ruffle some feathers because it changes up or it, it proposes the idea of changing one's lifestyle to fit what the gospel has to say, and that ruffles feathers. And so, in most cases, if you look at the people who are bringing the most persecution verbally or in the media to the church, what is it? It's people who, one, are from a homosexual tendency, or two, those who uh, are from a heterosexual tendency who are very lascivious, who, who uh, promote sex, uh, sex sells in the media, and so the media likes to come down on Christians because when it says, hey, uh, sex, sex, sex is not good unless it's in marriage, people are like, I don't want to get married. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was, at a, I was at a comedy show on Friday night, and they were asking for uh, ideas and topics from the crowd, uh, and I don't know why this was the thing that jumped out of my mouth, because he's like, give me... Uh, a, a, a concept like faith or love or hope and the first thing that jumped out of my mouth I have no clue where it came from I was like monogamy it just came out of my mouth I don't know why and so they're like alright monogamy and it became a joke that monogamy was a concept that was good like up on the screen right after I said monogamy it said boring like that's the society we live in where a monogamous one man, one woman relationship is seen as boring because you don't get to have fun. You don't get to go out and meet someone new. Uh, I was listening to a radio show uh, where uh, a pastor from Miami was being interviewed. Uh, and the interviewer asked the question, well, hey, isn't lust, isn't sexual sin, isn't that God's fault? Because God created all of these beautiful women uh, who, who look differently, and it's our job as men to explore. And the pastor said, no, 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 hold on, this is not God's fault. Uh, this is not God's fault. And, and he broke down some really cool things about how men should view women and women should view men, and it was really good. Um, and if you want to actually listen to that hour-long interview, talk to me afterwards, I'll hook you up with it on YouTube. It was great. Uh, but the reality is, when sexual sin... Obviously, if the Bible says murder is bad, society agrees that murder is bad. So you're not going to have murderers like, that Bible's really messing with my game plan. Yeah. They know what they're doing is wrong. But when it comes to sexual sins, those tend to be the people who attack 
God's word with the most uh, angst, with the most vehementness. They are, hey, you are messing with my way of life. You're messing with my fun. You're messing with my pleasure. And you're messing with my love. Hey, here's the reality. God's word has something to say about sin. God's word has something to say about sex. And we believe God's word is 100% true. And so when God's word talks about sex, uh, God intended for sex to be awesome. And he planned it in such a way that it can and will be awesome. But he says there's some guidelines for it. Mm-hmm. And it's within a marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. One man, one woman. And so we're not going to talk all about that tonight. But what I do want to point out is that the Old English, the King James, and the Greek where we get the King James Version, where it says lewd men of baser sorts. Lewdness uh, is, is a descriptive word for those who have sexual sin. So lewd men of the baser sort. These are men, these Jews, who were not persuaded by Paul, went to the marketplace and found those who had sexual deviancies, people who were sexually rampant and doing their own thing, and said, hey, these are the people who are going to oppose the gospel the most. Let's send the sex, sexual sinners to go cause an uproar. So the very same thing that happens today in our media was the very same thing that was happening to Paul here. People who had, uh, I mean, if you were to look at Greek culture and Roman culture and the sexual sin that was going on there, people say today is really, really bad and it hasn't been this bad ever. Well, no, no, I mean, it was. I mean, there's a reason why Sodom and Gomorrah took place. There's a reason why the flood happened. Uh, so we're not in the worst place of human society uh, but Greece and Rome, it was very much like it is today. Casual sex was like everyone did it. It was totally okay to have affairs back in Greek culture. It was kind of just a given thing. You had your wife, then you had your Tuesday girl, and you had your Friday girl. That was super cool because your wife had their Tuesday guy and their Friday. I mean, it, it was just a very messed up world. Uh, and... Not only was there heterosexual sin that was going on rampant, there was homosexual sin that was going on, there was uh, incest that was going on, uh, there was uh, pedophilia that was going on, that was generally accepted as totally okay. And so that was the climate, that was the culture that the gospel came in, and the gospel said, no, 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 we are to love one another, and we're to treat one another like brother and sister in godly love. And so when the gospel presented this new way of living, a way that was free of sin and that gave you a good hope and a good future, these people were like, man, you're messing with my game. Don't like this. Let's kick them out of the city. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 17. We see they go with probably all intent and motive to kill Paul and to kill his companions. Lord willing, they're already out of town at this point. But they drag Jason, whose house they were staying at, out into the square. They accuse him, and it isn't until he pays some money, saying, hey, don't hurt me. I'll pay you guys protection money. Just let me keep being a Christian, that they let him go. These are the lewd men who came against Paul. And so Paul's going to break down for them uh, some things. But, but, but before we get to that, here's the thing. He says this uh, in... in, in uh, in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, uh, But even after we had suffered before we were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel in much conflict. Perverted men came, but they were entrusted with a message 
uh, and their message was not to please men. Their message was to bring truth. And, and as followers of Christ today, mature followers of Christ who are operating in faith, hope, and love, uh, our duty is not to make man happy. Our duty is to please our God who is in heaven. And, and, and how do we do that? We bring truth. We bring truth. Now, there's, there's different motives and methods of bringing truth. You can bring truth like a battle axe, or you can bring truth with love. Uh, both have their place. I'm not going to stand up here and say bringing truth like a battle axe is always a bad thing. Because sometimes it is very much needed. If we water down the gospel, if we hold back on the gospel, we are doing a disservice to the non-believer. In all reality, we're doing a disservice to the church. Even more so, we're doing a, uh, a, a detriment to ourselves. This is what it says in Jeremiah. Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 1. Going all the way back to the Old Testament for this. This is what it says in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Jeremiah. It says this, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were of Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the ninth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, uh, came to me saying, Before I formed you uh, in the womb, I knew you, and before you were, uh, I sanctified you, and I ordained you as a prophet to the nation. And then I said, this is Jeremiah, verse 6, he says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Now, he was a young man, uh, much like pretty much the young men who are here. Uh, and, and, and God said, I have ordained you. I have given you a message to give to the people. Sound familiar? Jesus gave us a message to give to the people. Mm-hmm. But Jeremiah says, God, I can't speak. can't speak. I am but a child. I am a youth. Now remember what Paul told Timothy. He said, hey, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. Okay? But this is what God says to Jeremiah. I think this is so cool. And to each and every single one of us as young people, this is what God says to us about going out and sharing our faith. This is what he says. Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And he goes on to say this. He says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out all and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, just, just a few verses later, he goes on to say, Hey, you know what? Um, if you don't speak the truth and you fear the faces of men, uh, this will come to be in the, the, the concise English that we speak today, he says, if you're afraid, then you're going to be embarrassed by the people. If you, if you go to the people and you don't give them the forward because you're afraid, it's going to turn around and it's going to be a contention on you. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be, you step into this place, you're like, I'm ready to teach the gospel and share the gospel. But then if you shroud back in fear, you're going to be made the fool, but not by the people. God tells him, I'm going to make you the fool if you go in half-witted. 
if you pull punches when you bring this message of truth to the people. He says, if you don't give them the whole truth and nothing but the truth, I'm going to make you look like a fool. I'm going to confound you in front of them. And to me, when I read this, I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. God tells me to be bold. He says, be full of the Holy Spirit and go and teach the gospel. Jesus says this. Jesus says, uh, do not be ashamed of me and my words. For if you are ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you in front of my Father. That's Jesus speaking. He says, if you pull your punches, if you go in not prepared, if, if, if you're like not wanting to offend people, you are afraid of their faces, you don't speak the whole thing. One, I'm going to make you look like a fool in front of your non-Christian friend. And two, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my father. Those are two things I'd never want God to say to me. <laughs> Matt, you're a fool, and now your friends are going to laugh at you. And uh, when you come before me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. No, 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 no. Don't pull punches. Don't pull punches. Uh, some churches today, uh, and, I, and I use the term church loosely when it comes to these groups, uh, they have pulled the punches. They've said, well, you know what? If we say what the gospel has to say, we're going to lose money. We might lose attendance. Things are, I mean, it's going to go bad. And they've caved in and they've fallen to the same prey that the rest of the world has. They believe the lie. And, and, and they've compromised the gospel. And in doing so, may have compromised their very souls. And here's the reality. We're told in the book of James that for the, those who are teaching, so the, the leaders of these groups of people, uh, claiming to be followers of Christ but not teaching the gospel. We're told in the book of James that the teachers uh, are going to be responsible for every person they lead astray. So some big churches, some mega churches that have said, you know what, we're going to embrace what culture has to say so that we can keep our ratings up for every single person they lead astray. Some thousands, tens of thousands of people, that pastor is going to be responsible for all of their sin. Uh, and that's something that I, I just, quite frankly, will not do. Uh, I'm not going to pull punches when it comes to God's Word. We're going to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, because, at the end of the day, I want to see the gospel go forth. And I want to see people's lives change. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I don't want to show up to heaven and just say, Man, Matt, I'm really ashamed of you. You said you were going to teach the gospel, but you teach fluff. Now I'm ashamed of you. Uh, that's scary. That's scary. I don't want to be uh, in that place. Uh, <laughs> we're told this. Uh, this is what God says to Jeremiah. If you seek to please man, you cannot serve God. If you seek to please man, you cannot serve God. So, to the person who says, Oh, man, I just want to do God's will. I want to serve God. I want to... I want to live for the Lord, like Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But if they cave and they go to please man, they don't say certain things because it might offend people, they cannot serve God. And so, to us as followers of Christ, uh, we are not to pull punches. The gospel means what it says. And it says what it means. And the gospel is not a means to an end. The gospel is not... Just the, the, hello, here's Jesus. Give me some money. Okay? Which some groups of people have turned it into. 
Um, and I'm not going to drop names because, I mean, people like to throw, okay, I'm dropping names. People like to throw names around like, oh, Joel Osteen, he's sold out. Oh, Kenneth Copeland, he's sold out. TDJ, they've sold out. Uh, those guys haven't. Those guys haven't. Like, those guys, they still teach the Word of God out of the big pulpit. But there are other guys, guys like Benny Hen and some other dudes. I'm name dropping now. It's getting real. Not pulling punches. Who have turned the gospel into money and into a means to an end. I, 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 I watched the, um, just last week, I, I, it showed up on my Facebook feed and I was like, oh, okay, I'll watch it. Um, if you ever are watching like public broadcasting at like, like 3 o'clock in the morning, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll see this pastor and he had, uh, pastor, uh, the man is not a man of God, uh, and he, he likes to wave around the Bible saying that he's, he's heard from God and it's great. And he, and he woke up one morning and his alarm clock had a specific number on it and God told him to tell his church to give him that number of money. So at the like one time it was like $428. He's like, all my call, I mean, all my viewers call in and donate $428 and the Lord will bless you for 32 days or something like that. He's like, and he, and he had like these like, he had like these weird formulas and algorithms on how those numbers came to be. And, and his church is growing like rapidly. And I'm like, I don't know how it's growing. Um, but Benny Hen had him on just a few weeks ago. And he's talking, he's like, I talked to Pastor Benny beforehand. I'm going to do this. I feel like the Lord wants this. If you're watching Benny Hen's ministry, the Lord has told you to give me $300. Anyone who's watching, give me $300 to see what the Lord will do with your seat. I mean, random stuff that's not in the Bible anywhere. And, like, the dude's got a suit. He's got a nice car. He's got a suit that actually has, like, literal, not rhinestones, but diamonds, like, encrusted on his suit. Like, I'm just like, this dude is ridiculous. <laughs> so people like to, 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 to bash on prosperity, gospel. Uh, there is a difference between a gospel that uh, says, hey, God wants us to prosper, and a fake gospel that says, give me money, and I will give you blessings. Uh, and the give me money, I will give you blessings side of things, that is pleasing man and pleasing oneself, and that is no gospel. That is a false gospel, a false yeah. doctrine. Uh, and it, I mean, if we're going to get, we're not pulling punches. That's a doctrine of demons. That, that is Satan's game plan. Get rich, get famous. Oh, it'll be okay. Slap a little Jesus on it. Sprinkle a little Jesus on it. It's going to be okay. No, 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 no. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, and so all that. I wasn't going to say names, but I did. This is what this is what Paul. Uh, it frustrated me. It frustrated me because I uh, see I'm getting ranty now. But but it frustrated me because I see these posts and in, in, in social media it just makes it that much like, hey, this is awesome. Jesus said this. Hey, look, give ten dollars and no no, 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 Jesus never said any of that stuff. But Christians. True followers of Christ are getting slapped with, oh, well, you just want money. Oh, you just want this. Oh, you just want this. No, 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 that's not what the gospel has to say. But there are those wolves in sheep's clothing who were told about in Scripture, those who will do things for personal gain. That's why Paul says right here, he says, when we came, we didn't ask for anything. We didn't want to be a burden. We were night and day. We supported ourselves. All this to say, uh, when watching or listening to uh, a supposed follower of Christ or teacher of the Word of God, uh, make sure what they have to say lines up with God's Word. 
um, because it's very easy for us to 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 do listen and if got a little bit of good sprinkle on it. I was talking with Dan uh, the other day because uh, they're going through the um, the armor of God uh, or the Monday night Bible study uh, and we're talking about uh, the belt of truth um, and how you can have a lot of lie with a little bit of truth sprinkled on it and it sounds good but it's still a lie it's still a lie if, I, if, if we were to have a glass of water up here and I had some clear liquid and I dropped one drop in it and I said hey look I mean drink the water it's going to be okay it's going to be okay and then you're like well, what was the drop oh it was just a little bit of poison like I mean look we got 32 ounces of water with like just a little drop of poison it's going to be okay it's going to be okay well if it's clear, you're not going to see it. It's like, ah, yeah, might as well drink it. It's not, I mean, there's more water. But if you're doing food coloring, you still put the one drop in there, let it sit for a little while, your water's going to turn to a different color. And you're going to see how very quickly that poison can spread. My grandma, who's a super wise woman, she said this, a pint of poison will del like destroy an entire lake. Like, just one little lie amidst a sea of truth will turn that truth, given enough time, to a complete lie. Um, and, and the same thing uh, can be said uh, with people who are out there saying, Jesus this, Jesus that. But if that's not the heart behind it, um, it, it, it's a lie. It's a lie. And so we need to be careful uh, who we listen to. Um, and the ultimate authority, I mean, I'm saying this to you guys right now, uh, don't take what I say as solid. Uh, I'm going to stand up here and tell you it is solid because it's based off of God's word and it, it's God's word. But don't just take my word for it. Do what the Bereans did. In the book of Acts, there's, there's a city or a region called Berea. Paul goes there. And it says that the Berean church, they studied the scriptures day and night to find what was said to be true. They heard Paul, and they're like, man, Paul, that sounds great. I really like it. But let me make sure it lines up with God's word. They found out that it did. Super cool. But they paint a picture for us. They give us an example of what we are to do. We are to be students of God's word. We are to test the things. I mean, that, that's one of the things that we're going to uh, see in chapter 5. It says this. Don't quench the spirit. Uh, don't despise prophecies. But test all things. Test all things. Make sure it lines up with God's word. When it comes to prophecy, a bunch of prophecies going out, boom, this, that, this, that. Hey, if it doesn't line up with God's word, it ain't no prophecy. If it does not line up with God's word, it is not a prophecy. Even if it is said by a well-meaning Christian who has the gift of prophecy, if it does not line up with God's word, it is man operating in the flesh. I, 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 I've been in situations where a gentleman... Uh, who, full uh, of the Holy Ghost, loves the Lord, has the gift of prophecy. I've been in places with him where he's prophesied, and it was spot on. But I've also been in places with him where he started saying something. He's like, I'm feeling it. The Lord's saying this, blah, 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 blah. Do, 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 do. Doesn't line up with God's word and actually meant nothing to that person. Now, the cool thing about this dude was he was humble enough to say, okay, yeah, that was just me. That was me. Forget everything I said. But so often, people will take, oh, man, this person, oh, they said a prophecy over me, they prophesied, oh, man, i got to do this. does not line up with God's word. Yeah. It does not hold a grain of salt. Right. And, and so many times, 
the church and followers of Christ have been led astray by ooing and awing and fanciful things that sound good. I mean, we're going to talk about something that sounds good real quick. I, I'm getting off notes. Is that okay if I get off notes? Yeah. That's what happens when there's no worship at the beginning. I, I just get teachy, and, and that's okay. Had had this wonderful dessert last night. This wonderful dessert last night. It was it was it was this pear that had been marinated for for a few days, and like this this red wine and sugar reduction. It was like super cool pear, you know. And there was this mascarpone cheese that had some like sugar and some cinnamon added to it and it was put on top of it and there was this awesome like just syrup of raspberry yumminess and it was super yummy put on top that sounds so good and people are like no it's a pear that's a fruit like oh raspberries oh no that's good all right let's be honest we all know we're gonna look at the nutritional value of that meal it is terrible for us it is terrible i mean Favorite food, Dan? What's your favorite food? Uh, Pop Murphy's Pizza. It's Pop Murphy's Pizza is amazing. It sounds good so food. good. Thank you. If you lit up Pop Murphy's Pizza, <laughs> sorry to burst anyone's bubble, you wouldn't live very long. You wouldn't. <laughs> take Taylor, what's your favorite food? <laughs> Chicken Alfredo. It's great. I love it. It's got pasta, which is the carbs. It's got chicken, which is the protein. It's got white sauce, which is the yummy. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, if you lived off of chicken Alfredo, you ain't lasting very long. Favorite food, John? Varies, but uh, probably spaghetti. <laughs> oh, spaghetti. Great. You're going to live a lot longer on spaghetti than you are on pizza or Alfredo. I'll tell you that much. But it's still not the best for you. What's your favorite food? <laughs> oh! <laughs> That sounds amazing! It sounds so good! Oh, it's got nutritional qualities, but at the end of the day, we know that if all you were to live on is ice cream, you're not lasting very long. Here's the thing. Things that sound good aren't always good. I mean, that opens, that statement right there opens up so many doors. Things that sound good aren't always good. So maybe you have an idea. Maybe you feel like there's something in your heart like, oh, I'm supposed to how to do this like maybe God's calling me to do this but maybe it's just a good thing but maybe it's not a God thing there's a difference between good things and God things some people like to get moving and we talked actually about this just just three weeks ago people like to get moving and go all over the place oh man God boom God boom 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 but they're doing a lot of things making a lot of movement like a rocking chair move 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 but going nowhere sometimes God says Good thing versus God thing. So many things that we could talk about. But none of this is in my notes. Gospel is not a means to an end. That's where I left off in my note. Uh, if the gospel is a means to an end, it's an open door to false doctrine. How does Paul approach the gospel? He does it in a humble, a gentle, and a serving way. He says this, But as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. They spoke the gospel not to please man, but for the Lord. Because they knew that man could test them all they want, but God tests the heart. Super cool. Neither at any time did we use flattering words. How many of you guys 
appreciate flattering words. I mean, it's human nature to appreciate flattering words. And like when you hear flattering words, you're like, oh, thanks, thanks, oh, feeling good. Like, no, no, no. He says, we didn't use any flattering words. We didn't say, oh, Thessalonians, your sexual sin is okay. God loves you. It's going to be good. Love covers a multitude of sins. He says, no, that's sin. Stop. Stop. Turn from sin. The song. <laughs> Turn your head. Not from sin. Be born. I mean, didn't pull punches. Didn't use flattering words. He says, we didn't have this cloak of covetousness. Now, I don't know what kind of fashion a cloak of covetousness is. Uh, but how many of you guys know that it's enticing to have the nicest, the fanciest? Oh man, what are you wearing? What are, I mean, that, that, that that's questions people ask on the red carpet. The Grammys was just this last weekend. Hey, what are you wearing? I'm wearing Vera Wang, you know, like doing my thing. What are you wearing? Oh, this is my Tom Ford. You know, like people want to be wearing the best things, and people can covet and they climb the ladder trying to covet. Here's a story. A guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Don't say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Yeah, Jehoshaphat. Okay, <laughs> Jehoshaphat was a king. He was a good king. He was the king of Judah, and uh, he did some things well. At the same time, he's king of Judah. A guy by the name of Ahab is king of Israel. Ahab is a messed up dude. Dude is an evil man, and he goes to war with the Syrians. He says, "Jehoshaphat, my man, Jose, I need your help. We need to go to war against these Syrians. Form this treaty with me." Ah, yeah, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. I mean, we're friends. And Ahab's like, dude, Jehoshaphat, those robes are pretty cool, but check out mine. I got the cool gold and purple. You know what? Since you're helping me out, throw on my robe. Throw on my cloak. Oh, I see where this is going. Throw on my crown. Do it, man. And Jehoshaphat, like, I mean, it's pretty nice. Yeah, I'll do it. So he does it, he goes, he's going into war, wearing Ahab's clothing. Evil king gives good king his fancy clothes. Now the Syrians, they said, hey, don't worry about anyone. Don't worry about the Israelite army, don't worry about the Judah army. We just want to kill one person. We want to kill Ahab. So the entire army starts beelining it for Jehoshaphat, because from far away he looks like Ahab. He let the covetousness of and I want to look good going into battle. It was going to do some bad things for him. Now he realized what was happening. He's like, Ahab, man, that scoundrel. He's like, I'm not Ahab. And then when they got close to him, they're like, you're not Ahab. So he was spared. But here's the thing. The cloak of covetousness, that climbing the ladder of, I want to do better, I want to do better. It will destroy you. Yeah. It will. What does Jesus say? He says, build up your treasure in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy Guys, I'm going long. Why didn't someone tell me it's after 8 o'clock already? Okay. Uh, Jamal's already bouncing. Uh, I'm going I'm to finish in five minutes. How's that sound? How's that sound? Five minutes? Yeah. Can we do that, you think? Yeah. This is what he goes on to say. This is the meat of the message right here. Man, I wasn't even supposed to go there. Uh, this is what he goes on to say. He says this. Verse 7. But... We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child. Goes on to say, remember, brothers, that we worked with you, we labored with you for the gospel of God. And then says, you witnessed this, that we comforted you and exhorted you and charged you, just as a father does his children. Paul, in his 
mode of three things. He breaks down something here. He breaks down how they were like a nursing mother cherishing. They were like a working brother hand in hand. And they were like a comforting and an exhorting father. These are three things that every single one of us as followers of Christ, we ought to be with our brothers and sisters. We're to be cherishing and nursing like a mother who's nursing a child. Yeah, the baby cries, but they're not mad at the baby. They're not, ah, you, you, you dumb little thing, why are you crying? <laughs> they're like, here, come in, come here, let me nourish you. Like a working brother. They're, they're just not like, hey, look at that dude out there working, I'm just going to drink my lemonade. No, they're like, let's work together, let's do this thing. That was a terrible southern accent impression, I'm sorry. And uh, a father, how many of you guys, uh, sometimes you don't want to hear the hard word from a dad, but when... Father brings those exhorting, comforting words. Um, it means so much. And and here's the thing. We're to serve the body. Not only the body, but we're to serve the world this way. And this is a picture of the way God is to the church. Paul always says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul is painting a picture. Paul is he's giving an example. He says, this is how we were. We were a nursing mom. We were a working brother. And we were a comforting father. This is who we were to you. We're told to follow Paul's example like he followed Christ. So we are to do these things. But Paul is following the example of God. And we see the Trinity described here. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is a mother, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that. But the Holy Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit's role? To nurture, to comfort, to be our helper. Babies don't go conquer the world without a mom. I mean, even the greatest general to ever live, Alexander the Great, his mom pretty much pulled all the strings. I mean, let's be honest, moms are pretty darn cool. And uh, so, the Holy Spirit, that nursing mom, helping, comforting, uh, Jesus, our brother. Jesus, hey, we get to do life hand in hand with Jesus. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and lo, I always. He's there to help us out. And then we have our Father in Heaven who exhorts us, who charges us, who comforts us when we need it, but who says, hey, cut it out, Matt. You're not supposed to do that. And until we see this example of God, three ways He interacts with us as the believer. And Paul exemplifies that to the church in Thessalonica so that now the church in Thessalonica can paint that picture to us so that we can be that representation of Christ to the world and the church around us. So, let's follow Paul's example as he followed the example of Christ. Faith, hope, and love. Past, present, future. Mother, brother, father. Boom, boom, boom. The example is very clear. Let's not be led away by the fluff of the world. Let's stick to the foundation of the gospel and let's love the world with Jesus. Amen? Amen? Awesome. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much that I was able to finish that last bit in five minutes. Uh, God, no. On, on the real, we thank you so much uh, for your word. And God, we thank you that your word encourages us. It builds us up. Uh, God, it, 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 it's our rule of faith and conduct. Um, God, we just pray that, that in all we do, uh, God, we would follow you, uh, that we would not waver when, when the world says this or that, when they come against us and they call us names and all these things. 
Uh, but God, that we would we would teach the gospel, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. God, it, you you told us when we're mocked and when we're persecuted, they're not they're not hating us; they're hating you and us. Um, God, the fear of man that that it, as Proverbs tells us so easily is a snare. Uh, God, may that not be something that gets a hold of us but that we would hear the words of Jesus saying, hey, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. That we'd hear the words of God the Father to, to Jeremiah when, when, when he says, hey, man, if you pull punches, you're going to be a fool. Uh, God, may that be the thing that encourages us to not pull the punches rather than the fear of man and what they might say encouraging us to pull our punches. Uh, God, may we preach the gospel with boldness. And God, you tell us that your gospel is the power unto salvation. God, we pray that we would see that power in our lives. That the world would be changed as a result of your gospel going forth. So God, we just pray and we thank you. Uh, and we pray that you go with us from this place. Uh, in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. All God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.